Well, welcome everybody to Downtown Harbor Church. If it is your first time here, my name is John, lead pastor. Appreciate you guys coming on out. So we are in week two of this series that we're calling Surviving South Florida. And basically what we're doing is we're looking at issues that really affect us uh, significantly down here in Fort Lauderdale and the surrounding kind of towns. And we're trying to find out what God has to say about these issues. And then we're learning how to apply his truth uh, to our lives so that we don't just survive, that we can actually thrive. Last week, I don't know if you were here or not, but we took a look at sex and dating, and it's kind of a heavy topic, but we had to try to have some fun in the process of that. And so if you weren't here, I'd encourage you to go back and listen. But today what I want to do is I want to look at something that is everywhere in South Florida, okay? Um, it's really almost baked into our culture and frankly, I think a lot of churches don't really do a great job talking about this particular issue. And so I want us today to have a, a really good conversation about alcohol. Now, there are certain parts of this country that really are just more associated with drinking. You got New Orleans, party town, right? Vegas, you know, party town. A lot of you guys love Vegas. I've never actually been there. South Florida and Fort Lauderdale in particular is just its known for its drinking, so much so that we've gained the reputation of being called Fort Liquordale. Okay, maybe you know this thing. Now, when you think Fort Lauderdale, if the country thinks Fort Lauderdale, what do they think? Spring break. That, that, is, that is who, you know, it's spring break, it's Margaritaville, it's No Shoes Radio, Boats and Beers, Jimmy Buffett, five o'clock, that, Fort Lauderdale. Alcohol is a big part of this city. And the question really is, well, can it be a part of our lives? Meaning, can Christians drink alcohol? If you're a Christian in this room, and I know many of you are, if you're asking, can I as a Christian living in Fort Lauderdale, like, like what, what am I to do? Can I go to the, the wharf, so to speak, right? Big place down the street. Can I go to the wharf and get a drink? Can I go to happy hour with coworkers and, and, and grab a cocktail? Can I have a couple of beers on the boat while I'm you know, with friends fishing? Can I as a Christian participate in this party atmosphere or do I need to abstain from alcohol? This really is a hugely important question. And I just want to make sure that you guys here at this church have all the facts. So if you've been a Christian for any length of time, there's a pretty good chance that somewhere along the way in your journey, some person told you that drinking alcohol was a sin. And that makes sense. I mean, stealing is a sin. Lying is a sin. Last week, Paul told us that sex outside of marriage is a sin. So like, yeah. It makes sense that, that alcohol would be a sin. It all kind of falls in that you know, fun category. Uh, so maybe, maybe you heard a pastor preach a message about it. Maybe your grandmother told you, hey, listen, stay away. It's a sin. The largest Protestant denomination in, in this country, the Southern Baptist Convention, not only condemns the consumption of alcohol, but they condemn the production of alcohol. There are many churches that make their staff sign contracts. I do not drink. I will not drink. Uh, those same churches often make their members. So, you know, when I, as a member here, I, I will not drink alcohol. So based on what a lot of us are seeing, based on what many of us have actually experienced, and based on what some of us are being told, it seems clear that Christians can't drink alcohol. Off limits. Case closed. Here's the problem, though. The Bible never says this. Denominations say this. Individual Christians will say this. 
Some churches try to contractually keep people away from it, but God never said this. This is actually a misrepresentation of what the Word of God teaches. And so if someone tells you this, they're not telling you the whole truth. Now, maybe they don't know the whole truth, but after today, you will know the whole truth. So alcohol falls into a category that I like to kind of call God's dangerous gifts, okay? These are gifts that God gives us that are wonderful. They can be a blessing in our lives. They can add value to our lives. But if used incorrectly, they can be dangerous. For example, one of the greatest gifts that that God gave humanity was free will. He gave us the ability to think for ourselves, to act for ourselves. He could have made us robots, but he didn't. And that's a blessing. That's a gift. And yet, it was that gift, it was free will that ultimately brought sin and death into this world. It's a dangerous gift. Last week, we took a look at another dangerous gift, right? Sex. When used correctly, it's the ultimate expression of, of love and, and unity. But when we detach sex from God's divine design, it can wreak havoc in our lives. It is a dangerous gift. Finally, today, alcohol firmly falls into this category of dangerous gifts. Now, Scripture is very clear. I'm going to show it to you. Alcohol is considered to be one of God's gifts that he gives this world to enjoy. But because of the very nature of alcohol and what it can do to us, Scripture also contains many warnings. It's a dangerous gift. There is a tension that exists in these dangerous gifts. Now, if you just teach the dangers, which many churches do, you remove the tension. If you flippantly teach just the positives, you remove the tension. We are called to live in this tension. So what I want to do today is I want to start by showing you some positive things that Scripture has to say about alcohol. I want to start in Psalm 104. Now, we don't know who wrote Psalm 104, but it is entitled, In Praise of the Creator. And in this psalm, the author uh, praises God, really, for everything that he has done and everything that he has created. He says things like, you made the clouds, you, you made the oceans, you made the mountains. And then in verse 14, he says this, you make grass grow for cattle and plants for us to use so that, when, so that we can grow our crops and produce wine to make us happy, olive oil to make us cheerful, and bread to give us strength. Okay, so this was definitely written by an Italian. <laughs> like, <laughs> Thank you, God, for wine, bread, and olive oil. All right? That's the other holy trinity. Uh, I could say that because I am Italian. So, but as you can see, because right, it's right here, wine is presented as a good gift from God right along with the basics of, of bread and oil. The wisest man who ever lived, that's what Scripture tells us, a guy named Solomon said this. So go ahead. Eat your food with joy. Drink your wine with a happy heart, for God approves of this. Approves of Wait a second. I I thought, uh, weren't churches saying, I mean, didn't the Southern Baptist Convention condemn? It seems like some things may have been left out. The great prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament, five, seven hundred years before the birth of Jesus, was prophesying about the end of days, the end time, and he was talking about this banquet that's going to be taking place in the new heavens and the new earth, and he says this, on this mountain, the Lord Almighty, will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, and the finest of wines. So, 
not only does God approve of wine, as Solomon tells us, but when God throws the greatest celebration in all of history, culminating all of the work that he has done, he is going to serve us the finest of wines. One more example. Paul, guy who wrote over half the New Testament, was writing a letter to a young pastor named Timothy, gives him a little advice. He says this, don't drink only water. You ought to drink a little wine for the sake of your stomach because you are so often sick. So let's pause. Okay. I've shown you a handful of examples of how scripture puts alcohol in a positive light. And I could show you more, but just honestly, you're just gonna get bored. I think we've seen enough. So let's stop and let's just answer a few questions. Number one, is alcohol a sin? No, it's just not. And you've seen it with your own eyes. And Jesus himself, and I didn't have time to show you this, but Jesus himself for his very first miracle, his very first sign turned water into wine. And I love the people that I go, well, really that was grape juice. Stop, okay? Stop, don't say that, okay? Number one, when you say that, you're impugning and denigrating the work of God. Don't say that. Number two, go read it in Greek. Okay, it is so clearly alcoholic wine. So is alcohol a sin? No, it's not. Question number two, big question of the day. Okay, then, well, can Christians drink alcohol? Can you as a Christian share a nice bottle of wine with your, you know, a friend? Can you, can you go to happy hour with, with a coworker? Can you have a couple of beers on the boat with your buddies? The answer is yes. But, because there's always a but. Remember that alcohol, while it may not be a sin, and while it may be a gift from God, is a dangerous gift. And like all dangerous gifts, it comes with a warning. Like I said at the top of the message, I want to make sure you here at this church have the whole truth. So yeah, alcohol is not a sin, but yeah, you got to be careful with it. Paul, the same guy who encouraged Timothy to drink some wine, also gives a warning. He says, don't be drunk with wine because that'll ruin your life. This is what many churches latch onto right here. This is what many Christians will use to defend their position that alcohol is a sin and therefore Christians shouldn't drink alcohol. But here's the problem. Paul never said that. He never said that, that, that wine is a sin. He doesn't even say you shouldn't drink wine. What does he say? Don't be drunk. Why? Because of the ramifications. It'll, 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 it'll ruin your life. So let's talk about this for a second. What does it mean to be drunk? If you actually think about like that, what does it mean to be drunk? This is why I'm here. I think about these things. So let's just pick like a local bar, okay? Let's do the wharf. It's a big place in town. It's right down the street. Okay. If you could somehow call every patron that was there last night, I give them a call. I say, hey, it's John from DHC. We're just doing a little bit of a survey. Can you answer this one question? I just have one question. Sure, yeah. Okay. Were you drunk last night? Now, some would say no. Others would say no, but their friend in the background would go, oh, yeah, you were. <laughs> Some would say, ah, uh, you know, I was kind of drunk. Others still would say, oh, I was so drunk. And lastly, somebody might say, you know, I was destroyed. I mean, I don't even remember it. I lost my phone. I left my credit card there. Okay. What does that tell us? It tells us that one's perception of being drunk is wildly subjective. We, we really do use this spectrum. I was a little drunk. I was kind of drunk. I was so drunk. 
And to further complicate this discussion, different amounts of alcohol affect people differently. If you are five feet tall and 100 pounds, one glass of wine might knock you on your keister. But someone like me, with just, you know, <laughs> huge amounts of muscle, okay? <laughs> Barely, okay? One glass is nothing. I could run a you know, marathon, I can't run a marathon, but I could run a mile afterwards. So we're given this command, don't be drunk, and it's a real command. But putting our finger on exactly what drunk means is proving to be a little difficult. So what does Paul mean when he uses this term? If you look at the totality of Scripture, okay, you, you look at all of the warnings, and there's a lot of them, all of the warnings that Scripture gives to us about drunkenness, a definition does begin to emerge, and it's this. You are drunk when you lose the ability to control your own actions. This right here is, is what Scripture is warning against. See, when you drink alcohol, there is a moment in time, and it's a comes differently for all of us, there's a moment in time when you switch from being in control to out of control. From being in control to no longer being in control. And when that happens, you're drunk. The Bible says alcohol is a gift. Enjoy it. But be careful not to cross that line. So let's talk about what happens when you cross that line. Let's talk science for just a second here. When alcohol hits the brain, it increases what's called noroepinephrine norepinephrine, which acts as a stimulant. And stimulants increase impulsiveness and decrease inhibition, meaning alcohol is going to make you do things you normally wouldn't do. And alcohol is going to make you less concerned about doing them, okay? It makes you not concerned about the consequences. In other words, at some point in this evening, you're no longer in control, the alcohol is in control. Furthermore, alcohol temporarily impairs the prefrontal cortex. That's the part of your brain that helps you connect the dots. That's the part of your brain that helps you think rationally. That's what helps you make wise decisions. In other words, alcohol can prevent you from thinking clearly and acting appropriately. Again, at some point, you're no longer in control. The alcohol is, and it's telling you what to do. I love the way that Solomon says this. He says, wine gives false courage. Hard liquor leads to brawls, like the country song saying, you know, tequila makes your clothes fall off. What fools men are, and this is key right here, to let it master. What fools men are to let it master them. You want a glass of wine? Go for it. Want a cocktail? Enjoy. But watch yourself. Because there's going to come a time when you're no longer in control. And any time you are not in full control of your senses, bad things can happen. So let me just borrow a phrase from Solomon here and, and, and ask you what might be an uncomfortable question. Has alcohol mastered you? Now chances are you might be quick to say no. No. And the reason you're quick to say no is because when I ask this question, you kind of immediately think alcoholism and, and whatever preconceived notions you have about what that means. L listen, this question and the warnings the Bible gives are much more nuanced than just some term. Don't get hung up on some term. Has alcohol become your master? Let me ask it this way. How often is alcohol in control? How often is it telling you what to do and how to act? 
Because remember, science says there's a moment in time when we cross the line from being in control to out of control, where we hand the reins of decision-making over to alcohol. You drive. So, how often is that happening to you? Never? Monthly? Every Friday and Saturday night? What about daily? Has alcohol mastered you? How about this? Is alcohol causing you to make unwise decisions? Is it causing you to make sexual mistakes? Do you find yourself in the shower on, on a Saturday morning crying, just trying to forget what happened the night before? These are red flags. Married people, let me talk to you. Has alcohol mastered you? Is alcohol causing you to argue with your spouse? Do you find that when the wine doth flow, the arguments are quick to follow? You go out for a nice date night in the town, and it often ends in yelling. These are, these are red flags. Okay, this, this is cause for concern. Parents, let me ask you a very uncomfortable question. Are your children seeing you on soccer TV? Has it gotten to a place where you're no longer drinking responsibly in front of them? Now they're seeing you slur your words, stumble around. Maybe they've even found you passed out. Are you missing work, church, or other engagements because of hangovers? Has it gotten to a place in your life where, where your drinking has really begun to impact how you manage your life and your responsibilities and the things that were once important to you? If you answered yes to any of these, there's a chance. There's a chance that you may have let alcohol master you. Now, let me just say this because it's important. There is a difference between mistakes and mastery. When it comes to alcohol, we're all going to make a mistake. Okay, we've all been there where it's like, oops, probably didn't need that third glass of wine. Okay? Where we've woken up the next morning with anxiety, right? And you're like, oh gosh, talked a little too much at dinner last night. Happens. It's not good, but it happens. There is a difference between a one-time mistake and a pattern of unhealthy behaviors. That's why Paul says, guys, don't be drunk with wine. That'll ruin your life. And some of you can kind of feel that happening, can't you? Friends and family starting to say things to you, aren't they? Hey, I notice you've been drinking up. Maybe you're not performing at work as well as you used to. Maybe your relationships are strained. Friends aren't really calling you to hang out like they once did. Paul says, don't let your life be controlled by alcohol. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit and be controlled by him. And I like how he uses this phrase, be filled. To me, it just speaks this idea that a lot of us have some voids in our life. We're just missing something. It could be love. It could be self-confidence. It could be peace. And a lot of times we turn to alcohol to fill those voids. But that is never going to work. So if you're here today, okay, and you're just feeling like, oh gosh, he is talking right to me, here's the question I would challenge you to ask yourself. Why do I drink? Really? Why do I drink? Really? Because you may have put up such a wall at this point that you don't even know. 
Ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes. Why do I drink really? Why am I hitting it so hard on the weekends? Why is it that I, I, I can no longer fall asleep without a, a, a nightcap? Why is one never enough? Okay? Are, are you stressed because of work and finances, so you drink to just escape? Are you suffering with crippling anxiety or depression, so you just drink to feel peace? Have you suffered from abuse? And so you drink to forget. If this is you, my heart breaks for you. But listen, you're not addressing the issues, okay? You're, you're numbing the problem. And in the process, those issues and that alcohol, it's taken over your life. And God wants more for your life. So here's my challenge to you. I would ask God, Lord, you know me. You know my struggles. And I realize that alcohol is a gift, but a dangerous one. And if I'm being honest, lately I have been relying more on the gift than I am the giver. And I'm sorry. Help me. Fill me with your spirit. Pour into my life. Help me to be the person that I want to be and the person that you have called me to be. So what's practical? What do you do with a message like this? If it is your first time here at DHC, every single week we put this word on the screen because we want to make sure you can leave on a Sunday and just know exactly what to do with what you heard. So as we've been saying all day, alcohol is a dangerous gift from God, but a gift nonetheless. So the first thing that I would, I would tell you is this. Drink sensibly, okay? Yes, as a Christian, you can enjoy alcohol. It is a gift, but enjoy it responsibly. And you're going to have to figure out what that looks like for you because it's different for everybody. But I will tell you this. There's a big difference between enjoying a cocktail or two and being a sloppy drunk. There's a big difference. And God wants more for your life. So drink sensibly. The next thing I would say is this. Drink sensitively. Be aware of your surroundings and be aware of your company. Meaning, if you are in the presence of someone that you know has an alcohol problem, who is struggling, who is trying to recover and get back, be wise in their presence. Don't drink in front of them. Paul says this, it is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything for that matter, whereby your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. This is just such loving advice, okay? That person is having a hard enough time as it is. Don't make it harder. Now, a lot of times they may say, no, no, you're fine. You can drink. I'm working on it. We're good. You know, just be wise, okay? Use your freedom wisely and drink sensitively. Lastly, ask for help. Okay, if you are here today and you would say, I think I, I think I got a problem. Like I've been ignoring this. I have been brushing this off. I've been, I've been making excuses. You know, work's tough. I've told myself I can handle this, but I don't think I can handle this. And I need some help. This is your chance. Okay, maybe this is your God moment. Maybe this is why you're here today. This is your opportunity to break free. Come find me. I'll pray with you. And then I'll help you get the help that you need. Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that we have the opportunity 
just to come together as a group and talk about issues that really do impact us down here. And God, you know, when it comes to alcohol, so many of us have had different histories with it, so many different experiences with it. We've been, we've been told so many different things, Lord. But ultimately, according to your word, it is a gift from you. But God, I pray that today you would teach us that if we are going to be using it, how to do it wisely, responsibly, Lord. God, if there are folks in this room who perhaps are, are, are right now struggling with an unhealthy relationship, God, I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would touch them. Lord, that they would not feel shame because this is just part of being a human, but you would empower them, convict them even, to get some help. And God, for those of us in this room who are on the road to recovery, God, I pray that you would give them strength like they've never felt before. That you would empower them to live the life that you have called them to live because we could not do it without you. And we ask all this in Jesus' mighty and powerful name.